0: Hi, it's Dan here for Dusty Discs Radio, and this is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. Today, I'm very honored to have as my special guest multi award winning blues recording artist and Canadian icon, Sue Foley. We'll be talking about all things music, travels, the business of music, other players she's worked with, and we'll get some other insights as well about her many pursuits and accomplishments. So, thanks for joining me today, Sue. How are you?
1: I'm great, thanks. How are you?
0: Well, good. Well, I was happy to have you on. I'm doing great. And uh, so I guess you were born in Ottawa, but you've relocated, but we still claim you as our own. Is that okay?
1: That's absolutely fine. <laughs> yes. I'm from Ottawa. I was born in Ottawa. My family's in the Ottawa area. Oh, good. And I yeah. get back several times a year. I was just there last month. So yeah, it's, it's yeah, home. Good.
0: Good for you. Well, that's nice. And, and so were you one of those kids that was just a natural singer, musician, kind of always drawn to music. Was that what, your story?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I was just, you know, I came out just singing and there was music everywhere and there's music in our household. I mean, we were a musical family anyway, but nice. um, yeah. I just knew my whole life that I'd be a musician.
0: Oh, very cool. And so did you try other stuff too, like singing, acting, writing, dancing, any of that? Well, you know,
1: (laughs) I mean, I love to dance still. Um, I did Irish dancing as a kid.
0: Oh, very nice. Uh,
1: We did a lot of singing, a lot of singing around the house. There was a lot of Irish music my dad played and a lot of rock and roll from the radio and my brothers and my older sister, you know, kind of big Irish family, just you know, music was just part of our our thing. Um, I didn't do much acting per se, but uh, but a lot of music.
0: Yeah, I guess you gravitate to what you what your affinity is. I, I guess I would say. And and the thing about the kitchen music, I've talked to lots of people about that. You you don't really overthink it. You just you're just musical. You're just naturally musical.
1: Yeah, it's you. just part of what we do. It was just kind of like what we do. And there's something about playing music in the kitchen. I don't know why it's like the best room in the house to play in.
0: Well, it's just entertaining, and it's—I guess you create your own entertainment back then, right? It wasn't—it wasn't, it wasn't spoon-fed to you. You pick up—you know, Grandpa plays the fiddle, and Uncle plays the banjo, and you sing, and let's go.
1: So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Everybody had a role.
0: Yeah. So, were you? A t- did you have stars in your eyes? Did you think I'm going to be a rock star one day, or did you just kind of take it as it as it came?
1: It's funny. I never thought. I wanted to be a rock star per se like I that's not really my my goal. it wasn't my yeah. goal. and when I discovered blues as a teen that 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 became my discipline musically and that's really the antithesis of being a rock star per se. it's yes. more about connecting with an audience. I was always fascinated by clubs like actually um, mm. playing in clubs because I think there's just something so immediate about the vibe yeah. of it. it's so kind of romantic and I don't know. It just struck me as I remember reading, like I read about a lot of rock stars. I remember reading a biography on Bruce Springsteen when I was a teenager and they were talking about playing in clubs and I was just like, clubs, clubs, clubs. That sounds so cool, you know?
0: Yeah. I just thought uh, it
1: sounded so cool.
0: Well, you, you make a good point because you know I talked to some songwriters, like the old singer-songwriter or the troubadours. They they were just singing about their life experience and the things that they lived. They weren't on a big stage with an invisible wall between them and the audience. They were the audience in a sense.
1: Yeah, and I think I, I had that same feeling. Like I had been to big rock concerts uh, pretty young. I think my first was twelve years old and. I saw Tom Petty, you know, and that was mind blowing, you know, just mind blowing to see live music. But then when I saw live music in a club at, I think I was about 15 and I went to a blues show and it's just like the stage was short and it felt like the crowd and the audience and the musicians were all on the same level in a sense.
0: Yeah, I know. I totally get what you're saying. It's a really, uh, really a cool vibe. And then I guess, so you played, you did all the obvious things. Like do you played coffee houses and clubs and and that sort of thing and a friend of mine said that he saw you at the Yale here in Vancouver I'm I'm in Vancouver right now I just live outside of Vancouver in Surrey did you ever yeah. play at the Yale
1: yeah many times because no. I moved to Vancouver at 18 you know and I was okay. I was I really wanted to branch out in my career and I I was from Ottawa and it was was it like it was it was either go to Toronto or go to Vancouver and I, I chose Vancouver it was far away and I, yeah. I just wanted to stretch my you know spread my wings as they say. So yes, there, yeah. the Yale was the first place I went. There was a blues jam there hosted by Jack Lavin and Tim Hersey. Yeah, and absolutely. And that, and you know, and I just went out there and hung out with the musicians. That's where I met Shoot. my first band.
0: Oh, very cool. So were you influenced by the, you know, so the locals like Tom Lavin and Colin James and Jerry Doucette and Jim Burns and those guys. Did you well, know I, them? And-
1: I did know them. <laughs> I, I know all of them and I appreciate everybody's work. You know, I, that's all I can say. I wasn't, so influenced by them musically, I wouldn't say, but I, I have a respect for all of those people. Yeah. They're all great. Yeah.
0: yeah. Very cool. And then you would have seen them cause they would have hung out there a lot. So I mean, I, I played with Jerry many times downtown and of course, you know, Colin was just breaking out then too, as, as well. So,
1: yes, yes. Yeah, it was a yeah. pretty vibrant time in music in general. And the blues scene was very vibrant at that time. Extremely yeah, unfortunately,
0: vibrant. it's not here now. Uh, it's it's not what it was because most of those blues rooms have shut down here, the Fairview. And there was a few others that are just not here anymore, unfortunately. But that's life. I mean, th- things go on and things switch around. But I'm always curious at the steps that people take. And then for you, when I look at your timelines, it's it's quite remarkable what you did. I guess So you went from Ottawa to Vancouver. You ended up in Austin and quite young, right? You got into touring with, uh, I guess, Mark Hummel. Hummel, is it?
1: Mark Hummel, who's a Bay Area harmonica player.
0: Right. Yeah,
1: hired my whole band and took us into the States, which for Canadians isn't easy to do. It's still not easy to do. Yes, absolutely true. But getting stateside was really important to us because that's where it was really happening. It's not to discount Canada or Canadian blues or this and that, but it was really happening in the States. Everybody was from down there all the big legends were from down there and that's where we we wanted to be.
0: Well, 100% and I've told told people that myself too. If you're going to have a like a bluegrass band, like you're not going to be making a living in Vancouver. You need to go where those people are and that's what you did. But it must have been quite surreal for you. I mean, you started playing guitar in your early teens, I guess, and then within less than 10 years, probably 8 years, you're living in Austin. Yes. That must have been kind of surreal for you looking around going, "What?" <laughs>
1: It was beyond surreal. I mean, it was real. It was yeah. real. And it was where I wanted to go. I mean, I wanted to go to Austin more than anywhere. As soon as I started learning about what was going on down in Austin, it was like, we need to go down to Austin, not just to the States, but we need to go to Texas. We need to go to Austin specifically. There's something going on in Austin. Yeah. And, it, and there was.
0: Yeah, and you make a good point about lots of Canadian artists try to go down there, and some of them do, and they have sort of marginal success, but you were able to sort of ingratiate yourself to those people and, and put yourself into that scene and become part of that scene, so that that's a second Cool step to take—not just going down there, but then to immerse yourself in that scene and and be successful in it. How did that? Yeah, and I didn't—I
1: didn't just go down there. I was brought down there by Clifford Antone, who owned Antone's nightclub and record company. So, and the Antone's nightclub was the famous club where everything was going on. That's where Stevie Ray came out of, and the Fabulous Thunderbirds. I mean, we knew all about this place. Yeah, and it was him that brought me down because I sent him a demo tape. Nice. That was how I got in and got the respect right away. Because if Clifford brought you down, it's like, well, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. you don't have to <laughs> climb through the ranks on sixth street. You're playing, all of a sudden you're playing Antones with, you know, sitting in with Albert Collins and stuff like that. And now yeah, like it was pretty heavy duty, but so that made a big difference in my life. Yeah.
0: Well, good for you. Cause I, I often ask people, you know, how much of what you did was planned and how much of it was sort of happenstance. And for you, I guess it was just fortuitous. This came along and you said, Oh, big hey, um, now I'm with this guy and he's well-respected, thereby you're well-respected well sort of immediately, right?
1: Well, you know, and I and I, and I I think about this, you know, when you think about happenstance and planned and like I really, really, really wanted it so bad. I could taste it. I could feel it. I could, you know, it was so real to me that it just happened. And this happened to me a lot in my life, especially back then I was able to almost will things to happen because cool. my desire was so great, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it was kind of planned, but it seemed like it was planned by the gods or something, or just <laughs> the willpower well, of of desire, you know.
0: like I think that's that's probably a good way to put it because my old manager always said, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get, and that was his saying that he said all the time. And I think there's something about that when you're passionate about it, people just they get it, they get your vibe, and you gravitate towards things that are gonna feed that passion.
1: Yeah, exactly. People pick up on it. They want to help you. Yeah.
0: So can I ask you a blues question? This is sort of, um, just a general question but i i, I want some help with in understanding this you know you love the blues and i hear about like the texas blues and southern blues and delta blues and west coast blues and chicago blues and to be honest i don't really know the difference between all of that like i, I know what blues is but can you put some you know information give me some information on that or maybe the short version for our listeners
1: yeah i mean blues is blues is a lot of things and it's you know uh, obviously started as an african-american art form coming out of mississippi in the south so that's where it came from in in new orleans and sort of that that bottom of america right down there is, is which where which is it was the born. delta
0: right that's the, the delta, delta blues.
1: and then down into new orleans i think had a big hand mm-hmm. in early blues as well but and then yep. it just sort of spread across migrated to chicago when uh people started going up there to get jobs and there was more right. jobs up there and you know, people started migrating out of these areas and, and the, taking the blues with them. So it, it, it took on a different sort of sound in all these regions. I mean, Chicago yeah. blues was in, turned into a sort of an urban style blues, you know, and it, it, it had a more of a grittier feel. You know, the early Chicago blues, you can hear the Mississippi Delta in it. But if you go up a generation, you don't really hear the Delta anymore. You hear like okay. the urban sound of Chicago and it's got a, And now it's it's transformed even more. You know, California had its own vibe, um, but they really migrated to a lot of big band swing like like Texas did. And then the big band swing of Texas and California, even they, that gravitated to guitars in Texas. And, and those guitar players started playing that big band stuff on guitar, like with T-Bone Walker and people like that, yeah. which changed the sound of Texas blues. And that's just because it got probably economically harder to tour with big bands with all these horns, and they adapted everything to smaller combos. So then you have the guitar kind of taking prominence. And specifically in Texas, especially, guitar became really big. It's it's really big in Chicago blues, too. If you go to New Orleans, the sound is more associated with horns. And brass mm-hmm. bands. So you hear a lot more brass and horns and, and a, a lot of yep. percussion and drums. Not to say there's no guitar players, but it's not guitar player specifically. Right, the blues, I got you. right? And then
0: piano too, because there was the ragtime. Piano. And the, and yeah, the, you know.
1: piano was big in New Orleans in the South. And and piano's big everywhere, but the guitar really took over. And and that's probably through the fifties and sixties when rock and roll evolved out of blues, you know, and, and that guitar just became something um, someone could throw on their back and go anywhere and then there was rock blues and british blues and now there's of course yeah blues everywhere and british blues (laughs) has a real sound you know that that early british blues has a has a very specific sort of sound all these regions have a specific sound piedmont has a sound Hmm. yeah
0: well i was wondering about that because uh you know of course, the rolling stones they were huge on the black blues in the states right and they recorded and then they got the singers and the influences and and put it into a lot of their the stones tunes that's that was what they claimed was their favorite or most influential music i guess was yeah the stones blues.
1: started as a as a blues band they wanted to play traditional blues and that's how i learned about blues is because i grew up on the rolling stones yeah. you know i'm a i'm a child of my, you know my older siblings i was pretty young in the early 70s but i'm born in 68 but so in the 70s, the Stones were massive, you know. And then when I started learning about them, I really wanted to play music and reading about my favorite groups. And then I realized they were listening to Muddy Waters. And I'm like, who's Muddy Waters? <laughs> yeah. You know, who's that? And then I'd be reading about this blues stuff. And then I started reading books on blues and buying blues records. And then you're like, what is this? This is a whole other world. Yeah. How come nobody knows about this, right? <laughs> but it's well, it's we- funny. It's like a secret society almost yeah well, they
0: came to the states i mean the, the stones came to the states and sought out those and they went to muscle shoals and other places and and sought out those musicians and were influenced and some of them were on the records like like gimme shelter they had that black female singer that sings that part on there is just unbelievably super cool
1: right so they wanted
0: that vibe right they wanted oh that
1: totally feel. and they you know and to to their credit they gave these guys a new lease on their yep. careers they brought Very all the, and all those British blues bands brought all these guys over to Britain and man, America yeah. had forgotten about them. Yeah. You know? It's funny
0: eh, how that goes. Well, and then the Southern rock influence, like, you know, people ask me what my favorite genre is. And I have to say like Southern rock to me is, you know, and that's all blues based right out of that. It's a little edgier rock, but it's certainly based in the Southern blues. And I love it. It's just, the vibe is so cool. Yeah. Skinner,
1: so. It's a total vibe, real Southern. But well, yeah, the blues ZZ top
0: is- and Skinner Just love it.
1: Yeah, I mean ZZ Top's another blues band. You know, they just yeah. started out playing blues, and it turned into rock and roll.
0: So you went down there. It sounds like Austin was the right place for you to be with your vibe and and the the blues that you preferred. You were in the right place.
1: Yes. Well, the interesting thing about the eighties, and I this I'm I'm looking at the late eighties, but it started in the mid seventies to the mid eighties before Stevie Ray Vaughan broke through. Austin was developing this sound. You know they had these young hippie kids and they were all trying to play blues. And then Clifford Anstown started bringing down people from Chicago. And this is, again, nobody was hiring these guys in America. You know, muddy waters was just kicking around. He wasn't doing big festivals and they were just like happy to come down and play a gig in Texas. And these older Texas, you know, these young Texas kids and these older black musicians from Chicago, they started playing together and, there was a new blues sound coming out of that. And it also came up from Louisiana because there was a lot of Zydeco and Cajun stuff coming up through Louisiana, mm. Swamp Pop, and that was mixing. So Austin at that time had a new blues sound, which it's in blues is such a traditional music that it's astounding. There would be a new sound coming out, you know? Yeah. But it yeah. was really distinct. And, you know, when Stevie Ray Vaughn came out, that was a new sound and everybody was freaking out because they're like, what is this? This guitar player is insane. So fantastic. But it's also the vibe of it. Like, what is this? Everybody was playing like that in in Austin. So to come to Austin, you know, for me as a young teenager, I was like, well, that's happening now. That's not like going, trying to dig up something from the 40s in Chicago. That's like, this is new. This is wild. This is right. alive, being born as we speak. And I'm like, that's where we need to go. After. So,
0: and you got to ride the wave, right? Because you you put out Young Girl Blues, that was '92 that came out. Yeah. So you were riding that wave, right? You we were on the,
1: the crest of the wave or yeah, the end that. of the wave or whatever it is. <laughs> sort of yeah. towards the end. It's, I mean, it's still going, but it's it's you know that sound is sort of developed now. It's not really. I mean, blues is still always changing and evolving. Yeah.
0: So you recorded that album in Austin and you have a producer there?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was produced by two of the best house musicians at Antown's. That was Derek O'Brien, a great guitar player, and George Rains, George Big Beat Rains, one of the great shuffle drummers. They, they produced nice. my first two albums.
0: Yeah. Very cool. And so what struck me about it, I listened to the whole album and it's, it's, it's raw. Like it's it's got that raw energy and that's what brought you to the dance, right? You just get up there, you're real, you're raw, you just play. And it, it's not overproduced, it's not you know, there's not tons of overdubs and layers and this and that harmonies and horns like you were talking about. It's, it's just it's just you and and a band and a cool vibe.
1: Yeah, we're we're very straightforward. I'm still like that. <laughs> no. But I was sort of trained like that. You just play it real and and get up on stage and play pretty clean into an amp and put yeah. it all in there.
0: <laughs> and then you did the song Cuban Getaway, you did an instrumental, right? Mm-hmm. Cuz there's no that's and you got the faster picking and the nice feel and you do have a bit of piano and shaker in there I can hear. You got mm-hmm. that um, that vibe. So you did add a little bit in there and then in mean old lonesome train, you got the the harp in there,
1: right? And I think who's that was playing Kim that? Wilson. I think that's Kim Wilson. Okay. We we were lucky. I mean, the other thing was because all those musicians were right around, they were able right. to get them into the studio, and they all lived here, and 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 everybody hung out together. It was a very warm, friendly scene. Cool. You, know, you yeah. You'd yeah. think then- something of such quality and and world class musicianship, there'd be I don't know, cutthroat competitiveness, but it was never like that here. It's it's still not like that.
0: Well, good. And it's nice. And, and yeah, you make a good point. There's lots of great players around. So if the producer says, Hey, why don't we get, you know, we'll put some harp on this and you <laughs> get on the phone and you got a great harp player down there in, in a short period of time, right?
1: Right. Right.
0: So your goal, when you started out, like if someone had asked you when you were 15, what do you want to do? Or you're doing it, I think, right? You, you achieved the goals that you wanted to achieve.
1: Oh yeah. By the time I was in Austin at 21, I was, I'd arrived I just couldn't imagine having been anywhere better. I didn't want to be anywhere. You know, there was no rock star dreams for me. It was just this was happening now. This is playing with blues people, playing the blues, learning the blues was everything I wanted to do.
0: And being a respected part of it and being an integral part of it, which you eventually, you know, in not too long of a time became part of that, too. So that's kind of cool. You were, totally. you were part of the group right so
1: totally
0: totally so uh, so let me nerd out on you a little bit and ask you some guitar stuff if, if my re- listeners will indulge me uh, at being a guitar player myself i had a few questions i wanted to ask you if we'll do a, a oh, rapid yeah. fire so no
1: worries yeah
0: so you play pinky you play a telly mm-hmm. which is it's nice i have, i have a telly i'm a strat guy because it i like the body shape but is your is your telly tricked up or is it stock
1: it's stock so is my it, original Pinky is, I haven't changed the pickups. I've had it refretted because it's 35 years yeah, old. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, no, it's completely stock. And I just, it's a Japanese from the 80s. And uh, those are really good. They're really well made. So yeah, I was lucky. The, I got a good guitar right cool. out, right out the gate.
0: Yeah. And then your amps. I mean, obviously you use Fender amps. I think you're, you're using a Hot Rod DeVille there. Is that what I see on stage?
1: I'm actually, what I really prefer is a Fender 410 Baseman, 59 okay. reissue, 59 yeah. reissue Baseman. And those are really plain, but they tend to stand up really well on the road because there's not a lot of bells and whistles yeah. on them. And you can just add a little reverb on a pedal. That's And that's almost all you need.
0: So when you fly in, though, you just specify what you want. Like, I, I don't mind if it's Blues Deluxe, Hot Rod Deluxe. I prefer the Fender amps myself, so I don't care which one they have. I, I just adjust to it. But yeah. you don't always take your amp with you, right? No,
1: no. Where I'm very specific, actually, I, I like... The DeVille 212s. I don't like the 410s DeVilles. Yeah, I, I like the 212 DeVilles. I mean, I play pretty loud. Um, so if we can't get that... And actually, I use a Fender 65 Twin when I travel a nice. lot because yeah. uh, those are... You know what it is? They just stand up and they're not... And if, it's, if you're getting rented back line, those usually are not yep. destroyed. <laughs> right. So anything with four tens could be destroyed pretty easily and ratched up and it'll get really dirty. And I, I'm actually a pretty clean player.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what I was uh, going to say. You don't have a lot of pedals. It's funny because in Vancouver, I bought uh, a Fender Twin one time that BB King had used. And so BB King was in town and that's all he did was he wanted a Fender Twin and he went straight in and just adjusted it and played. And then so when he brought it back on the rental return, I bought it. So I got BB King's
1: nice. uh, Fender
0: Twin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so cool. proud i don't have it now unfortunately but uh so you don't use a lot of pedals like you, you have a very clean like it's not overly fuzzed or distorted sound
1: no no i don't go for distortion barely i like yeah. i like natural drive out of the amp so i'll run the amp pretty hot yeah and that means if it's a twin or something like that it'll definitely have to get baffled or you yes. know turn around or up on its back or something so it's not
0: super um, loud amp.
1: yeah they're very loud but um, you want to drive the amp pretty hard like I like to drive the amp and get the distortion out of that rather than you know play the amp low and and, and get that out of a pedal because yeah, so I don't think enough. pedals give good sound honestly. Mm. Yeah. I think you you want a good sound from your amp and your guitar and then the pedals should just they should just accentuate but I don't lean on pedals too much.
0: Yeah and then you put a bit of reverb on there for your sustain and
1: reverb and, is sweet yeah. a little tremolo yeah. is great for some things nice yeah very little. Very little else.
0: And then you're picking, like you avoid the hybrid. Like I'm a hybrid picker, so I hold the pick with my forefinger and my thumb, but you lose the forefinger, right? For you, you got a thumb pick, and then you your right hand is very active. Like you do lots of picking.
1: I do a lot with my fingers. I studied um, a lot of flamenco techniques and classical okay. techniques. Yeah. I was always fascinated by the right hand, and there was some great, you know, there's a lot of pl- people I saw that didn't even use picks, like Clarence Gatemouth Brown never used a pick. And he had such a great right hand. I used to just sit and watch his right hand. So I'm really an advocate for right hand technique and that how that affects your tone. I think your tone comes out of your right hand, the way you hit the strings is really imperative, you know, that you work on the right hand. And, And a lot of people just think, oh, they just get fast with the left hand. But
0: yeah. And then they pick fast with the right hand, but no, you're totally right. And I noticed it right away when I was, when I was watching you, I've seen you before lots of times but when I was watching the videos more closely, I thought, well, yeah, she's using a thumb pick. Do you have, man- do you have manicured picking nails?
1: I do. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, guess have I play, to.
1: <laughs> I play nylon string too, right? I play Spanish yes. guitar. So, and some classical and I don't know, flamenco kind of stuff. And so I, I need nails, which I love. Yeah, so they've turned into, good. you know, having basically five picks on your hand. Yeah,
0: that's exactly it. Cause, cause sometimes you don't use the thumb pick. You're just picking with your thumbnail, right?
1: Yeah. Like I feel <laughs> really comfortable with my right hand. I love it, the dexterity you can have and the things you can do, the trills, like you can do so many cool tricks yeah, with the right yeah. hand.
0: No, it's very good. And, it, and it's, it's sort of like piano. I mean, you, you use both hands fully and then a lot of guitar players, like you said, use your left hand real fast, but your right hand's kind of just doing the picking thing. So you're taking advantage of of both sides, which really comes across well. I, I noticed it right away. So and then uh, you don't do a lot of slide, but you do a little bit of slide guitar. I heard no, a
1: couple... I don't really.
0: Because uh, there's Ice Ice Queen album. There's a slide playing on that. Is that you playing it?
1: Ah, uh, there's no slide. It's just me.
0: Oh, really? It sounded yeah. like a slide guitar. I was going to ask you about that because a lot of blues guys, you know, they put the action way up and then they they open tune it and they do the slide stuff. It's super cool, right? It
1: is super cool. And I would have developed slide more. I love Earl Hooker. He's a great slide player. He's one of my favorites. And um, But I didn't apply slide so much. You know, when I was starting out, and this is, I know it sounds like a bad plan or a bad reason, but Bonnie Raitt got so big, so quick, and we were just, breaking out too. And everybody would tell me I sound like Bonnie Raitt. And huh. I'd be like, no, I don't. I don't sound like Bonnie Raitt. I know I have red hair. I know I play electric guitar. So I, I specifically avoided slides. So I would okay. stop getting confused with Bonnie Raitt. I mean, not yeah. that they mistook me for yeah. me, but they were just always compare me to her. And I'm like, I love Bonnie Raitt, but I don't try to sound like Bonnie Raitt.
0: Well, exactly. You know? And that's a good point. I, I love Eddie Van Halen, but I didn't want to be Eddie Van Halen
1: right right
0: i I respect him and i love him and i listen to him but i don't want to be him and and the thing is with slide too it's a bit complicated because if your action's too high you can't play the other stuff properly so going back and forth is really hard
1: yeah so people i mean there are people who just play slide and there are people who switch out but you got to switch guitars
0: yeah and it's hard to
1: do both on one i mean people do it you know they'll do some single note stuff but
0: yeah, and you get lots of fret noise because you're yeah. banging the frets on the way up, which is, you know, I mean, that's just part of it. I have a friend, he plays lap steel because he just got tired of the, the fret noise and he just set his lap steel up. The, I think the action's about a quarter of an inch off the fretboard. Right.
1: Yeah, so you're he not get fretting any, on that. Yeah.
0: No, no. So, <laughs> And then the other thing about it is you use the capo quite often, which is kind of cool.
1: Yeah, and that's another sort of Texas guitar thing. Capo use, okay. you know, like. Albert yeah. Collins was big on capos. Clarence Gatemouth Brown is big on capos. Jimmy Vaughn uses yeah. capos a lot. Cool. And uh, I've gotten more into capos, but it's it's a real and it also is a real flamenco thing too. They use a lot of capos okay. and they'll fr- they'll fret up and fret the capo up and then just play an E and A. You know, yeah. I watched Clarence yeah, Gatemouth right. yeah. Brown. Yeah. He would capo up on the you know tenth fret and cool. be playing an E. <laughs> you know what I mean with an E chord. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's just interest. It's an interesting stylistic thing.
0: Um, yeah, it you gives know? you a different vibe. But the thing is, especially in a three piece, you lose the lower notes, right? So if you get up too high, up to eighth fret or something, it sounds too um, trebly sometimes. Yeah.
1: No. For him, he had a big band, and he had so you know all the other people behind him. But for me, that wouldn't work. It's because yeah. I'm a, I am trio. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then you did the bend the neck technique too on your on your telly. <laughs> I had to yes. laugh out loud when I saw that. that's Super cool. I had a friend of mine who had an SG, and he actually broke the neck off of his oh, SG. Oh,
1: I know. I've worried <laughs> about that. I've worried about that. Yeah.
0: Well, you got a bolt on though, right? I mean, the the tellies are a little more forgiving, probably. Get it
1: yeah, down. and I probably don't bend it that hard, but I do.
0: <laughs> no, but I noticed it, and and you got down. I don't know a semitone. Do you get down a semitone with it? <laughs>
1: Something like that, it's yeah. funny.
0: Oh, that was great, though. I had to laugh when I saw that because I, I, I know a few guys that do it. It's just it's, it's hard on the guitar to put your guitar to tune if you're not careful, but it seemed to work okay for you.
1: Yeah. You know, these Fender tellies are almost indestructible.
0: I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so you, you mentioned about the nylon string guitars and I saw you doing a couple things. You did a TV show and you played the nylon string, which is really cool of you to do that. Cause I, I don't play the music them cat gut, but I guess it's nylon strings now, but, um, I really love the sound of them. I just never got into play. I play a steel string guitar for my acoustic, the Gordon Lightfoot stuff and all that, but I don't play the, the nylon string, but you played it really well. And I was, I thought it was pretty gutsy to just go on by yourself and pick up a nylon string guitar and play like early in yeah the morning too. well
1: i i i'm very influenced by spanish guitar and uh yeah. i love those spanish guitar I love those flamencos i i'm passionate about that and i studied yeah. some flamenco and uh i'm still i mean i still study stuff to get better but yeah, yeah. i'm really passionate about that i love i love those guitars so much
0: yeah, no, that's cool. And I was going to ask you about that. Like, you know, what do you do to stay fresh? You know, like, cause it, it's funny because I go to jams or I go to see people and I'm like, I've heard myself play lots of times. You end up playing the, you know, you've got your favorite riffs and you got your favorite techniques, which you, that's your signature. That's your trademark. But then you want to grow beyond that, um, you know, a little bit and just keep kind of going in different directions as you can. What do you do for that? Bring in the other influences?
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's what I, I, I've thought about that a lot, too, because and blues, especially, were such mimics for so long. You know, you're learning this, you're learning Freddie King, you're learning BB King, you're learning T. Walker, you're learning this, you're learning that. And then all of a sudden, you're going, well, who am I? Yeah. You know, um, so I think the right hand stuff that, and the nylon string and these things have kind of added to my own character and my own story, you know, my own evolution. And, and so I'm, I, I feel like I've, I've started to sort of have my own identity in this. Which, are, which is really based around that kind of stuff. You know, a lot of right-hand technique, a lot of the added nylon string and different guitar styles thrown in. and
0: Yeah, and that's because and, you got to stay within the genre, but then you want to expand within the genre. And, and lots of people, you've brought up lots of names of people who have done that. In the
1: yeah, moment. yeah, a lot of people have. And, that, you know, I haven't heard a lot of blues played on nylon string, but I love it. I think it's no. the best. I And what happened is I was doing, kind, I wanted to do country blues and, I, I had different steel strings and that, and I just found for live that the nylon string always sounded better. So I just leaned on it, mm-hmm. micing it. So it just sounds warmer. Yeah. yeah it it is, always it sounds nice. better.
0: Yeah. So are you a, a guitar player who sings or a singer who plays guitar?
1: Guitar player who sings. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Well, yes. It's funny because
0: a friend of mine asked me one time, I went and saw him and he said, well, tell me what you think. Like, Do you have any critique? I said, well, you're obviously guitar primary, which is what he was. He was a wonderful picker and stuff, but his singing, his mic technique was all over the place. And I said, well, try to flip it sometimes and be a singer who plays guitar, just, just as a mental experiment. And he said it really helped him, but I could see that you're guitar primary and then you sing and you're singing strong, but you're you're mainly a guitar player, I guess. And, and, uh, so that's, that helped him was to think about it the other way. Cause I think for me when I'm singing and playing guitar, I'm always thinking of the singing first, because that seems to me is harder. You can put the, mm-hmm. you can put the guitar on autopilot, especially when played as long as you have. Right. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that?
1: Oh, I th- it's a great advice. Um, and, and definitely, but I've always, you know, I always think like a guitar player, Yeah, fair enough. And then I had to sing. I eventually had to sing. I didn't want to sing. I was (laughs) I was very shy and uh it wasn't the thing I wanted to do, but people told me, Hey, if you don't sing, you gotta try singing. They say, If you don't sing, you're gonna be, you know. You better be one hell of a guitar player. That's, that's what they told me.
0: Well, yeah. And then you'd be beholden to some prima donna singer too, perhaps. Exactly. So. Right.
1: And then you're, <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, so I'm glad yeah. I sing. And I was able yeah. to front my own group. Well,
0: mm-hmm. I think that's part of the message, right? I mean, it like, like again, the singer songwriter, they're singing songs about their life. The blues player. Yeah. Y- you're playing is great, but you want to sing and talk to people about your life. That's a big part of the message that you're getting across. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Telling your so, story. Okay.
0: Yeah, and then you sang a bit in French too. Are you bilingual? Did you learn French as a as a kid?
1: I did learn French as a kid, so <clears throat> okay. my French skills are pretty strong. Growing up in Ottawa, yeah, French immersion pretty much okay. through school. So yeah. you know, nice. I don't I don't sing in French that much. I don't feel like I can emote in another language other than English very well, but I'm not opposed to it.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny. I used I used to teach. Uh, people who had degrees from other countries for whom English wasn't their first language, I would help them in, in writing and whatnot. And so one time I asked them, well, what language do you think in? And they always think in their original language. Uh-huh. So when you're talking to yourself and doing your self-talk, it's always in your original language. It makes it hard because you have to translate everything. And like you said, the emotions come from your inner thoughts and your thinking and your emotions, and that's in your primary language.
1: Uh-huh.
0: So that's cool, but I wanted to ask you about that because it sounded cool and I, of course I couldn't speak hardly three words of French, so I was impressed by that.
1: Oh cool. Where did and you then, grow up? Are you from the West?
0: Well, I was born in Toronto, just outside of Toronto. Oh, okay, in, Guel- yeah. in Guelph. I was born okay, in Guelph. Guelph. And then nice. but I moved out here and, and we took French when we were kids in grade three, but I didn't pay attention and then we moved oh, to the okay. west coast. So <laughs> Was...
1: Ottawa is so french like you're required you yeah
0: so do you do you ever do any band configurations differently like you're basically a three-piece but you add players or play with others and you've been recording with others and, and in the studio i guess you can bring in other people too do you, that's one way to expand out a little bit
1: yes definitely um the last two projects i mean we just put out a live album that's basically yeah, guess, trio. Yeah. We did we did add a couple of people on there for, for a few things, but uh the album before that is basically trio. And then the album before that, the Ice Queen, we had a lot of guests on that. Yeah, we had a lot yeah. of guests and we did a lot of things differently. So there was horns yeah. and stuff. But yeah, I love it all. I, you know Oh, that's
0: I, good. Well yeah. and that that's one way to expand out too, like like you did um 2001 i guess you had love coming down and uh your voice sounds really good on that you got a nice smooth feel on that one but you got sax in there right you got some horns in there yeah
1: yeah yeah i love doing all that stuff yeah it's nice being able to
0: yeah and then your guitar sound is really warm are you in the middle position on your on your pickups
1: i'm in the neck position mostly oh
0: you oh you do okay Mm because i I find that too bassy sometimes so i go middle so i get the bridge pickup too
1: yeah yeah, I bounce so, around, but I, I lean a lot on the um, neck pickup, on the So tally. do you turn the
0: top end up on your amp then when you do that?
1: The top end's up pretty high. The mids are really high.
0: Okay. Um, the top yeah. end
1: is maybe middle. And then, you know, the tr- I, I'll play with the tone knob on the guitar a lot. Yeah, okay. You know, switch it around.
0: Nice. Well, it sounds real, it's fat and smooth, right? That's Yeah. What it
1: thank you. And I've, and I, people have told me my, my sound is pretty big for a telly. Cause a lot of people associate the telly with just like that twangy kind of trebly sound, but.
0: Well, that's that Nashville sound, right? Yeah.
1: But I that's... like the really warm sound that the telly yeah. does.
0: Oh, cool. And then, uh, so 2018 was the ice queen and then you had Billy Gibbons. It Was that the one where he came in and, uh, played on it with you?
1: Yeah. Billy Gibbons came as a special guest um on a song called fool's gold and then we had jimmy vaughn special guesting on yeah. a couple of tunes um, and that was all brought in by mike flanagan our producer
0: okay who, well I, I mean i, I knew love all billy. these guys I,
1: and played with all of them yeah
0: you know i mean he's for me as a guitar player who grew up in the 60s and 70s and stuff billy gibbons is in the top 10 for me like yeah. I, I was so influenced by him when i heard blue jean blues and stuff I just, oh I was yeah just like, oh my god this guy's so good
1: he's such a great yeah. singer
0: god yeah. he's so good. What influence did he have on you?
1: Well, interesting. I mean, I, I didn't know much about him later on, even until we did that song for the Ice Queen, and that was through Mike Flanagan. And and I've gotten to play with him. We do a show down here. It's coming up next month, actually, the Jungle Show here in Austin with Billy and yeah, Jimmy. I saw that, and yeah. Mike and Chris Layton. Um, we do that every year, and we've been doing that since 2016. So, I mean, I've gotten to be friends with these people. and Oh, great. Um, But Billy, you know, the funny thing is, is I had older brothers, my oldest brother, Sean, he always listened to ZZ Top.
0: And so, you know,
1: when I think back, I'm thinking, well, I was hearing blues early on, you know, through Zeppelin and ZZ Top. And then... Lo and behold, when I started playing with Billy, my brother was like, what? (laughs) How did (laughs) this happen?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, the thing about Billy too, like, I mean, he's got the feel, but he also, they adjusted, right? Because in the seventies, like I was a huge, you know, heard it on the X and all the blue jean blues and all that stuff was totally awesome. But then in the eighties, they went to the, what they called it techno taco, where they went into the, uh, you know, the eliminator albums and all that. But Billy adjusted to all that. And he was still cool through it. Like it's amazing the way that they transformed their careers and then came full circle and they do it all now. And so I'm a huge, huge Billy Gibbons fan. He was a huge influence on me.
1: Yeah. Billy is a, is a real artist. He's, he's always, you know, and I can say this through knowing him a little bit. He's, is very artistic, very creative, and he's always got his ear to what's going on. Like he stays yeah. current with everything, yeah. you know, and he's in his 70s. So that stuff like that is really <laughs> inspiring because yeah. so many people shut down and they're like, this is as far as I'm going. And I'm, but no, you, you, you meet people like that and they're just hungry for more and they just work all, I mean, he no, works no, right. more than he, people can't keep up with Billy. He's yeah. on the go. He oh, never good. stops <laughs> and he's well, I saw, very creative.
0: Well, I saw that during COVID you did the Texas blues party videos and you got him playing maracas for you on a song. Is that <laughs> Yeah, said, yeah. Who <laughs> gets Billy giving play? I know. Hey, can you be my percussionist for this song? Well,
1: <laughs> he's he's just as everywhere, and he's. Oh, it's great. He's so such a great person.
0: And I guess that's what gave rise to the Pinkies Blues. You were during COVID. I guess you were kind of reflecting on what you're going to do, and and doing these Texas Blues Party videos, and then you put together the idea for the album.
1: Yeah, that's right. The songs. That's exactly right, and Pinkies Blues was sort of a. We had done the Texas Blues Party as a, as a tribute to all our Texas heroes, Mike, Mike Flanagan and I. And, you know, in that, in that study or that show, it, was a, it started as a little show and then we turned it into a weekly sort of concert we yeah, do here super in cool. Austin. Loved it. And then we would do like Freddie King and T. Bone Walker and we would study a lot of the stuff we had kind of grown up musically on. And, and then that, that did evolve into Pinky's Blues because a lot of that stuff is Texas based music.
0: Right. And so there's some covers and then you, you wrote some stuff as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a few, but there's it's mostly covers and it's covers of people who've really influenced me like Clarence Gatemouth Brown and Frankie Lee Sims and yeah. even Angela Straley and yeah, Lavelle White, some great cool. songwriters.
0: Yeah. So you say in in your bio, we just wanted to make something representative of the Texas blues that we'd been schooled on in Austin. So we picked great songs and I wrote a few and everything is a labor of love. So then you mentioned Blind Melon Jefferson, Frankie Lee Sims, um, Freddie King, Jimmy Vaughn. Very cool.
1: Yeah, exactly. All that stuff. And it was just really fun to to learn. Sometimes you need to refresh and... Yeah. That's what Flanagan and I were doing. We were listening again and going, Hey, do you remember how to play this one? You know, <laughs> <You> we'll
0: <know. laughs> like, figure it out. Well, and it sounds again mostly live off the floor. Like it's you're all counting live. it in.
1: It's all. Yeah. Live. So there you go. It's all and played live. There's no guitar overdubs and no vocal overdubs, if you can believe oh, that wow. on an album. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's live.
0: Yeah. But again, it's that rawness. It's just people playing cool music with a cool vibe because so much stuff now is is sort of manufactured well not sort of it's completely manufactured right it when is
1: you... manufactured you don't know what's real what's not but you can um, trust me on so. ours yeah
0: yeah <laughs> well that's nice and then you did some videos too but I, I really liked uh hurricane girl is super cool that's that's very cool upbeat blues i like that the okie dokie stomp is is really cool you captured the live feel for sure on that one that's great
1: Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's got to be done in one take. You can't overdub on a song like that. So you need to know how to play that. You know, there's accountability and all that, you know, when we were coming up, you had to be able to play that stuff.
0: Right. And then have a vibe. Well, it's funny because the Little River Band, I often tell the story, but when they did their first album, they'd been touring so much that they did most of the album live off the floor because they were so used to each other and they would played so much. It just rolled off in the studio. Like you're not in there picking apart every piece and piecing it all together a piece at a time. You're just playing like people play.
1: Yeah. It seems like a point, an antiquated concept, but you know, it's kind of how we, we were raised.
0: Well, I guess, I mean, and and the thing is too, at at this point in life, you know, old school is, is good because they had it right. You know, some of that stuff doesn't need to be changed that much because there's a vibe there that's. I would say I would say irreplaceable maybe I sound old school by saying that but that feel and that natural vibe is is not easy to replicate that's what pe- that's what draws people to it the humanity in it
1: Right yeah that's honesty too humanity that's what always brought me into blues
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then so Pinky's Blues is a slower sort of traditional blues instrumental, right? Just kind Uh of talking with your guitar. Somebody said that one time to me, I never thought about that, but they said the the guitar, because you can bend it, it's it's the most close to the human voice. So you sing the chorus and then you play a solo over a verse or something, and it sounds, there's a human element to it. Like you, you talk about that, about the guitar being this bunch of parts and pieces, but you breathe sort of life into that. You know, yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And even when you listen to somebody like BB King and he sings a line and then he plays a line, well, right, yes. It's it's interesting. It's two yeah. voices
0: and then yeah. singing a harmony along with the solo line. That's yeah. cool. I like that. Have you ever done that? No. I know some people do it they sing an octave of what they're no. playing or they'll sing a harmony to what they I I haven't done that either very much. I, I tried it a little bit in the past, but it's tricky.
1: Yeah, it sounds tricky.
0: Well, cool. And there's some great songs in there. I would, I would uh, encourage our listeners to go to Sue and listen to some of the tunes. And Pinky's Blues is available pretty much everywhere. I listened to most of the album. Two-Bit Texas Town, super cool. I really liked Hurricane Girl. That's a great song. Thanks. That sounds really good. Yeah, Southern Men and Dallas Man. I was thinking, is there, a, is there a man theme? I'm sensing a theme here.
1: Men, yeah, in general. <laughs> Southern and Men. Of course. What else am I going to write about?
0: There you go. That's, um, they so always the, stay
1: interesting.
0: Yeah. So there you go. And, then and, and you, uh, are you, do you have a family are you single? Are you, um,
1: I have a son. He's 26. Okay. Um, nice. I'm basically, I guess, single. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I, I've got a boyfriend, so.
0: Nice. Um, oh, that's cool. But, yeah.
1: um, you know, um, yeah, my family's in Canada, most of them.
0: Right. Well, sometimes I ask people that, and especially for you, I mean, you pursued what you wanted to pursue. And of course that, that costs you on the other end of it because you're traveling lots, you're touring and you're, you know, working on your career and stuff. And, and for a lot of people that I've talked to that there's a, a sacrifice there in a sense, maybe family life or, or suburban lifestyle or whatever. So did you sacrifice those things for your career as well?
1: Well, I mean, I just did what I had to do because you have to be on the road to be a blues musician. You can't, it just doesn't happen in a vacuum. You can't just make albums and not go play. So live playing is really important to what we do. And, and that's an important part of my job. And I adapted as a, as a parent, you know, my son had to, my son and I had a different Lifestyle than a lot of you know, just a family that everybody's home every night. You know, right. sometimes mom would have to be away. Sometimes I take them with me, um, but we nice. adapted. I raised a great kid, and yeah, good. That's it wasn't nice. easy That's to really be married. You know, that was a little more challenging, actually, for some reason. Yeah, fair enough. But, oh. um, but it's you know what it's you know what it is. It's hard to meet people who understand what you do, and then unless they're other musicians, and then there, that has its own dynamic. So I think for women in this business, it's very confusing for men. I don't know for men, it seems easier. Like guys will just get, um, a woman and, and she could be anything. she could be a nurse. She could be a, have a job, but for some reason, women musicians always end up with other musicians and that becomes its own interesting dynamic. Yeah. And it can, it can be challenging.
0: Yeah. You make a good point because I, I'm, obviously been a musician my whole life for over 40 years, making a living. And I did tour a bit. I just didn't like it that much. But uh, my wife has nothing to do with the music business. She's not a musician. She's a homebody. She had a job at the government and it really worked well for me because as you say, if you're with a musician, there's a whole other dynamic that gets involved there and it can be complicated. So I kind of felt like when I went home, the music business was not part of my life. Yeah, it's interesting.
1: That. It's interesting. And, that and, a lot. and a lot of the guy musicians I know, they have this life, but almost every woman musician I know is involved in some way with another musician. Yeah, there you go. And it's funny. I don't know why that is, but that's a really interesting sort of thing to think about.
0: Well, I yeah. mean, obviously, you know, you're, if you're attractive and you're around other guys are going to be attracted to you. So that's, but then that brings up a whole other complicated sort of set of circumstances too. So it's, it's, I was going to ask you about being a female, how that plays into it. And you've kind of brought that up. And I think it's, it, it helps you maybe in one sense that you're good looking and charming and, and you're a female. So the guys are attracted to you, but on the other side, there's a price you pay for that. Is that yeah, fair? Yeah, you
1: have to be, you get you know, I've been in the business my whole life. So I've, yep. I had, I have radar that I don't even know that I have, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I can pick yeah. stuff out and I, I'm really quick. I'm really, really intuitive and really quick. As far as people yeah. go, you have to be, it's a survival mechanism, but it's a good, it's a good question. And, uh, you know, I did, I've done a whole study and this is probably, I know we've been talking for a while, but we have like a new, you know, since Pinky's blues, we've got this live album live in Austin. That's we're touring right now. We just released and that's the latest album. But then my next project is a project on women guitar players. And so I've done a deep dive into females and guitar. So a lot of the questions you're asking are sort of typical of, of that, um, narrative, you know, that, that talk because talking to women about their experiences in the business and, how they manage to have careers and have families, and you know that's all yeah. really interesting things. And they are, they sort of are unique to the female mm-hmm. experience. You know, the, the the musical thing per se. You know, you and I talk about guitars. It's like talking to anybody about guitars. You know, yeah, talk about technique or guitars. It's it's like you know, I could be anything, but when you're talking about experiences and you know how you stay safe on the road or how you manage relationships or how you raise a child and being female. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. And it's funny because I've I've played with female artists over the years and, and there's a whole range of them too. Like Like some female artists are just one of the guys. They drink and smoke and swear and they just act like one of the guys. And that seems a bit odd because it seems like a bit of a compromise to me where you're trying to fit in so badly that you're trying to be one of the guys. And then some of the others are very shy and sort of, diminutive, and they, they stay in the room, and they don't want to associate much, and they're very wary of any, anything that's going on. I've seen right. the whole gamut.
1: Yeah, you're right. And so I'm definitely one of the guys.
0: Yeah, okay. And I
1: was. From, but I grew up with older brothers, and I was one of the go. boys with them. So it, being yeah. one of the boys in the band was not a big deal to me. It, was, it seemed very natural to hang right. out with the guys and do what the guys did, for yes. up, to a, up to a point. I didn't have, do yeah. everything the guys did.
0: Right. But there is and
1: there is a boundary there.
0: Fair enough, but you don't want to be intimidated either. If you grow up no, with all the you you don't brothers, want to be intimidated. To it, you know,
1: you You've got to be it. able to roll with whatever the guys do. If they're going to talk dirty and yeah. rib each other and you know and yeah. what what guys will do to each other, you got to be able to handle it. You got to be thick-skinned yeah. and
0: you got to, Or you, you won't you survive out the there. Skin.
1: Yeah.
0: But then uh, it's funny cuz I interviewed some older people for a book I was writing years ago and I I asked one of the questions I asked was how do you become Strong without being hard, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like without getting jaded, right? You gotta yeah. still keep that soft spirit. You don't wanna be jaded or hard. Yeah. So you, you gotta don't have thick be... skin, though. Right?
1: Exactly. <laughs> it's such a good question okay. because it's, it could, you could get hard, you know? You yeah. could get hard, you could get hardened. and But life is like that, too. You know, anything can make you, you know, a hard person. My song, The Ice Queen, is sort of about that, about from everybody's, you know, external impressions of her, they think she's hard because she's been through some stuff and she's not, you yeah. know, she's not, she acts kind of tough, but inside she's still really soft.
0: Yeah. And what's the line in that song? I had it written down. I can't find it here. Shoot. I had it written they don't down because well, well
1: like I'm that,
0: detached. Because
1: yeah. um, I'm cool and detached. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, that was the line. I, it, that struck me. I thought, well, that's cool. So you're, you're still nice, but you're, but you're got thick skin and you're not hard which is it, which is kind of a balance. And that's why I was wondering about the female part of it. And then what about the business stuff? Like, like, did you feel you ever get fleeced or you ever get, um, have nightmare record company stories or get mistreated or taken advantage of?
1: Yeah, we've been through all that. I've been around so long. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: We've been through everything. I mean, I haven't been ripped off for millions of dollars, but you know, like some people have, you know, some people wake up and they're super successful artists and they realize somebody had stolen millions from them. No, that has not happened.
0: Okay, but, good, uh, good to hear.
1: But you know, we've dealt with labels, and yeah. shoddy management, well, I mean, and you know, yeah. you name it.
0: That and that's not really a male-female thing. I've talked to lots of guys who got completely fleeced. So
1: yeah, you know, it happens. it's a nasty business. You know, there's it still is. It still is. The whole the whole music business was formulated and founded on thievery. Yeah. <laughs> and it still is, you
0: exploitation. Know? Right? It
1: still is. It's still, and the thing yeah. is the, the things, the reason why they get away with it is because people will play music for free. They will pay to play music. It's so much fun. Yeah. There you go. It's so rewarding. It feels so good that we would do it for nothing and they know it and they get it out of us, yeah. you know?
0: <laughs> well, and that you know, I've made that point before too, that you, you become a commodity, right? So you're a what rather than a who, you know you're not you're not sue foley you're you're my girl and you're gonna make me money and you're gonna get out i mean that's kind of the mentality that can set in quite easily right and you're like well wait a second i'm actually a person
1: right (laughs) and and, you you know know. (laughs) that can happen and i still you know i see it happening all the time that you know a lot of agents just work their artists into the ground
0: oh yeah yeah. So you have a, currently, what's your record deal now? Do, are you on Stony Plain? Is that, did I see that?
1: My next album, uh, this current album, the live album came out on my own label, Guitar Woman Records. Okay. Uh, the next album, which is called One Guitar Woman, is a tribute to the pioneering females of guitar, comes out on Stony Plain next year by March. Okay. Yep. So that's my next release. Um, I have a book called Guitar Woman that's based around my interviews with Dozens of female guitar players that I've done. Nice. Um, That's coming out late next year, hopefully. Knock on wood. Okay. Um, but yeah, so um, been doing a deep dive into females in the in the in the business. You know, which is yeah. really cool.
0: Well, good. Well, no, that's great, and I'm I'm happy to, to that as well. You know, it's um, it, part of the empowerment thing. You know, like you think about the empowerment of women, but it's not so much women's lib or or having an attitude on the other side. It's just being empowered to do what you want and having your friends celebrate that with you and and your guy friends too, like I think that's absolutely great. I'm the more self empowered you are and the more you're able to do what you want to do, the happier everybody should be.
1: Exactly. It's not a. I've always said it's not like any big political statement or hard done by story. It's a celebration <laughs> of uh, people who really are passionate about what they do and their contributions. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, good. And then you—you obviously you're super busy. What about songwriting? You're doing lots of that still? Or are you just going to do um, yeah, make, a I, mix of covers and, and writing? No,
1: no. I'm actually, because this live album and then I've got an album of covers mainly, which is other people's work, the next one will be my work. Um, so, yeah, I'm always involved in writing and yeah, good learning, you. and I still have a, a very um, disciplined pra- guitar practice schedule. You know, people ask me, "Do you nice. still practice?" I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> you don't practice, baby. You don't. You don't get better, and you don't st- even keep your skills if you don't practice. Well, so. for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, and I often say too, it's it's a journey, not a destination, right? You're never going to arrive
1: you're never going to get there. Oh my God. Yeah. We're just, there's so much well, the, to strive for, but it's just so you know, much. Yeah. It's so great. You
0: must've heard the joke of the, uh, the 93 year old man. I think he was practicing violin and somebody said to him one time, well, you're 93 years old. Why do you still practice your violin? And his answer was, I think I'm making progress.
1: I think <laughs> I am. Bingo.
0: You know, everybody, every musician knows that answer.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's so definitely like, the journey, yeah. but
0: yeah, no, I appreciate you uh, you sharing all these things. Two quick questions, if I can, before we go. Um, looking back, what would you change? Anything that you would uh, change about your how your career was handled or decisions that you made?
1: Well, you know, I, I don't know if I could change anything. I think if I was going to give my younger self advice, it would be to to just believe in yourself and don't. And, and that would be good advice for any time. Is not looking sideways too much to see what everybody else is doing or has or... comparisons you know but just to believe in yourself and be able to really stake your own claim
0: yeah that's that's good advice pick your path and go down your path and if ever everybody else is on a successful path too well good for them but i'm on mine yeah just
1: stay in your lane and and trust and trust that process and not try to be swayed but there's a lot you know there's a big it's a challenging business i'm just grateful i can still be in it and still be doing what i'm doing.
0: And so what's your bucket list then? What, what do you got left to do? What would be a complete life for Sue Volley?
1: Well, I, I want to get, you know, this all this Guitar Woman stuff off my plate. I've been working on yes. this for almost two decades, over two decades, actually, with hmm. the book and everything. So that's my a big bucket list thing because that was a big, it's a huge project nice. that incorporate, yep. encompasses a, a doc, doctorate, a book a CD, a tour and a one woman tour. So that's in the next year. I'm getting that nice. all finished and you. then really just keeping developing my sound. Probably I might work a little more with my nylon string to, to do a sort of a more unique sound, but basically I just keep doing what I'm doing. I'm pretty happy.
0: Nice. Well, good. That's a good place to be. I mean, it's, it's funny if you can, if you can say that at the end of the day, because there's lots of successful artists you and I both know of who were very successful, but not happy. Yeah. So
1: you can, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's a tough
0: business. And if you can say you're happy and you're comfortable in your own skin and you're doing what you feel like you should be doing, that was always the rub for me. Like I always thought, am I in the right place at the right time here? Am I doing what I feel like I need to be doing? Is this the best use of my time for what I want to do? And if you can answer yes to that, then you're in a pretty good spot. I agree. Many thanks to Sue Foley for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from her interesting life in the music business. More information is available at suefoley.com. Everything's on there. It's a comprehensive website, tour dates, uh, links to everything that she's doing. She's also live uh, uh, active on Facebook, uh, Sue Foley Official. So check that out. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. We also invite you to listen to Dusty Discs Radio Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear music from the Canadian artists you're hearing on this show. So until next time, I'm Dan.